Welcome to this special edition of the Finsight Podcast. You're listening to another episode of Finding Balance, a special edition of Finsight, Baker McKenzie's Global Financial Institutions Industry Podcast. My name is Yingyi Liu and I'm a principal in the Financial Services Group at Baker McKenzie based in Singapore. My practice focuses on regulatory compliance issues with a special interest in fintech. Our episode today focuses on insurance. This is the fourth in our series of briefings where we discuss how COVID-19 will affect financial institutions and its impact on current industry trends. Over the next few months, we will be covering the impact of COVID-19 on various sectors and addressing the key trends that we are seeing across financial institutions. Please bear in mind that these represent our current views based on hypotheses that may change in a rapidly developing situation. No doubt there are and will be other perspectives. In this special edition, we've asked ourselves how the future really looks for financial institutions in the insurance sector and what the medium and longer term impact of COVID-19 will be for them. Joining us today is Mr. Martin Tam, a partner at Baker McKenzie's Hong Kong office. Martin is very knowledgeable in areas of insurance law and financial services. In fact, Chambers Asia Pacific and PLC's Rich Lawyer recommend him as a leading practitioner in insurance law. Thank you for joining us, Martin. Hey, hi, Yingyi. Good to speak to you here. Um, this year is indeed a very challenging year for both industries, including the insurance industry. And I'm glad here to have the opportunity to share with you what we see in the market. Thanks, Martin. And how do you think the insurance sector has weathered the COVID-19 crisis so far? Now, in answering your questions, I think I will focus first on what's happening around, around insurance claims and then talk a little bit about the balance sheet of the insurers. Now, so first, looking at claims, early on in the crisis, some of the industry predicted that COVID-19 could be the most expensive insurance event in history because of the wide range of exposures. Now, this autumn, Insurance Europe estimated a total loss of anything between US dollar 50 billion to 100 billion. Now, however, up to now, Insurance companies have encountered relatively moderate business disruption and travel insurance claims given the tight policy exclusion. Now, although there will certainly be disputes over whether business disruption should be excluded or covered under insurance policies. Now, for example, um, currently there's a test case to be heard in the UK Supreme Court on business interruption claims caused by COVID-19. So there will be scope in the future for higher paydowns and litigation. Now, the potential for claims overall is likely to be higher in the US where there are substantially greater payouts on workers' compensation as compared to Europe. Now, to balance this, the reduction in economic activities and the lockdowns has actually reduced the claims, especially in motor marine, aviation, and transport, as well as health insurance. Now, whether and to what extent the claims will bounce back depends on how quickly the economy will recover and how COVID-19 will change the marketplace. Now, so much about insurance claims. Now, look at, uh, let's look at the balance sheets of insurers. Now, I think the general observation is that the overall sovereignty ratios of general and life insurers remain healthy. And during the initial stage of the pandemic, global economy was indeed quite unstable and there was 
actually an unexpected reduction in the interest rates in the U.S. around March, which affected asset valuation substantially of insurers and therefore ultimately impacted on the solvency positions of many insurers, including Asian insurers. Now, in addition to that, insurers globally faced liquidity mismatch and counterparty and credit risk. So the share price of insurers failed because of the exposures of their investments, both in fixed income and equity. Now, but fortunately, um, in recent months, the financial market has somehow recovered. Now, having said that, in the balance sheets of insurance companies, there are still a high allocations of assets to bond and fixed income instruments. So because of the slow economy, there is still a risk of default. And because of interest rates is now very close to zero, insurance companies are now looking to take more risk for high return. For example, going to, into the equity market or private equity. Now, this will change the investment and the risk profile of insurers. Now, I should also fret that given the high degree of interconnectivity between insurers, banks, and other financial institutions, the risk of one sector can easily spill over to another sector and have an impact on the insurance company's balance sheet. Now, I think all this will finally affect the dividend declared by insurance companies to their policyholders. And I would say that insurance companies are therefore under a dilemma. Now, on one hand, they need to ensure that they have sufficient reserves. But on the other hand, they need to manage the reasonable expectation of the policyholders. And it will not be easy for an insurance company to balance these conflicting interests. Very interesting, Martin. And as we look forward to 2021, what do you think of the prospects for growth in this area? Right. Now, in 2021, um, yeah, that's a good question, uh, Ying Yi. And I think prior to COVID-19, um, insurance company had actually enjoyed a good premium growth. Uh, say, in 2019, uh, on average, the growth is above 4%. Uh, they are largely driven by life insurance business and especially the growth in China. Now, it is also worth pointing that since the financial crisis in 2008, the growth of insurance in mature market has actually struggled to keep up with the GDP rate. With the center of gravity for growth shifting from emerging markets, uh, shifting to the emerging markets in the Asia-Pacific region, now, this reflects not only the growth of a wealthy, rising middle class in these economies, but also a slowdown in the property and casualty lines in more mature markets due to, for example, the advance in technology, better risk prevention, um, and also um, safer uh, vehicles on roads. Now, most economies that were in recession uh, in the first part of the year are now experiencing growth, although the bounce back will not be very strong. So it will not be a V-shaped bounce back, but rather could likely be a U-shaped recovery. Now, China actually is the exception. 
Now, China has somehow avoided the recession this year, 2020, and it is expected to sustain the strongest growth next year. Now, although the economy um, <clears throat> recovery um, is positive for insurance companies, but most economies will be smaller than what they otherwise would have been, and this will impact the demand of insurance products, future growth of insurance premium, and bottom line, the balance sheets of insurers. Now, having said that, on the positive side, COVID-19 is reminding consumers, you and me, of the need of insurance. And again, with the increase in the wealth of the middle class and the growing aging population, we expect that there will be a strong insurance demand, especially on life and annuity products. Yes, absolutely, Martin, on reminding us for, about the need for insurance. I personally revisited my insurance coverage recently. Um, and so can I ask you this? Is it true that we're seeing insurance regulators becoming more proactive when it comes to COVID-19 coverage issues? Oh, um, Yingye, um, yes, absolutely, that's correct. Now, for example, um, some insurance products are no longer of practical use because of the pandemic. And many, many regulators are expecting insurers to review their products to ensure that they continue to offer value to, to their policyholders. Now, insurers, therefore, will need to adjust their product offerings. Due to the pandemic, insurers will have to offer, for example, discounted premiums, um, which may reduce their income. And at the, but at the same time, there will be fewer new claims um, that will be generated by the slowdown in the economic activities. Now, um, again, back to business interruption. In many countries, business interruptions or business disruption coverage you know, come hand-in-hand hand with property insurance and will only be triggered as a result of property damage. So if there's no property damage, there will not be business interruption coverage. Now, but in the UK, as I've just, just said just now, um, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, has sought declarations in the Supreme Court on COVID-19 uh, as to whether um, COVID-19 should be covered under business interruption insurance. Now, we don't know the results yet, um, but hopefully the court may resolve um, this ambiguity very quickly. Now, FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, has also required insurance companies to manage proactively those claims where there is a dispute in the coverage. And in Australia, the Insurance Council has taken similar steps. There are hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits filed on this issue, and close attention is being paid to the UK proceedings. So that could set a precedent. Uh, because many policies use similar wordings um, or raise uh, similar factual issues. Now, interesting to know, some US states have even proposed legislation uh, which would retrospectively require insurers to cover business losses related to the COVID-19 virus. Now, on the other hand, uh, IAIS, uh, which is um, the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, um, a um, international organization, um, of um, insurance regulators has actually warned against this sort of action as it could 
actually threatened financial stability. Thanks, Martin. It certainly will be very interesting to see how um, this continues to develop over the next few months. So you've spoken a bit about continuing growth in China and other emerging markets in Asia. Could you speak a little bit more about the so-called pivot to Asia? Right, pivot to Asia, yes. <laughs> now, um, the importance of this um, emerging market to insurance has been clear for some time. Um, Asia is actually the rising market. It has been predicted that China alone, the, the China's share of global premium will go from 11% in 2011 to 20% in 2029. Now, this would put China on track to become the largest insurance market by 2030, um, surpassing the US. And for Asia-Pacific region as a whole, you know, including places like Indonesia and Malaysia, the market will account for more than 40% of the global premiums. So definitely, um, Asia is the perfect uh, of the insurance market. Now, assuming the China economy exits the COVID-19 pandemic in a relatively better shape than other countries, it will be the only region expected to have positive GDP, uh, GDP in 2020. Um, and apart from the potential size of this market, that growth is due to a growing and more wealthy mid uh, middle class. A relatively young population which expect more digital-ready services and is increasingly conscious of their needs, especially for health and life insurance, given that social securities and welfare systems are generally weaker in Asia than in European market. Now, market penetration for insurance in Asia-Pacific region is still low, and therefore there is a potential for growth. Um, in China especially, the domestic PRC insurers have grown exponentially over the last decade and become the world's largest insurers by market capitalization. And these businesses have invested hugely in technology, embracing fintech and insurtech, uh, including AI, artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, distributed ledger, ledger technologies and computing and so on. Now, close to home for me is actually the development of the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area, in short, we call the GBA, which is, you know, all, all the industry players in Hong Kong is looking forward to. Now, the GBA idea aims to provide a better financial connectivity and economic collaboration in the region, in the GBA area. Hong Kong itself has a high penetration of insurance products, but this initiative is likely to give momentum to the industry. For example, through the promotion of cross-border RMB reinsurance, uh, development of uh, cross-border motor and medical insurance products, and hopefully in the future, um, we have we can employ the concept of insurance connect so that. Uh, local products in Hong Kong can be sold in the Greater Bay Area. And we, with all these developments, we hear a lot about global insurers looking to grow their business in the region. How do you see them posi positioning themselves to benefit from these growing markets? Right. Now, <clears throat> Asia-Pacific is certainly the growing market which most global insurers are focusing. Now, until recently, 
the entry barrier to China is still quite high uh, due to the tight regulation in China. Now, having said that, um, given the recent economic and regulatory changes in China, these factors are less and less of an obstacle. Although currently there's a trade war uh, with the US and the West um, that may intervene. Now, this trend is requiring global insurers to redirect capital from slower and more mature markets, given that it's a long-term and capital-intensive project. Now, reflecting on the stress placed on the balance sheets of the place on the balance sheet of the insurers by the COVID-19 claims and the impact on the invested insurance premiums. Some global insurers now, as we see in the market, are actually selling local Asian insurance business in order to strengthen their potential standing or to focus on other more profitable market. Now, this suggests that only the strongest and the most digitally ready insurers will fully benefit uh, from this market growth. And that's a nice segue into my next question on digital transformation and climate change concerns. Now, these are the two mega trends that seem to be gaining momentum thanks to COVID-19. Um, could you talk us through what you're seeing in the insurance space? Oh, absolutely, <clears throat> Now, the pandemic is providing fresh impetus um, to environmental, social and governance concerns or in simple we call the ESG concerns. Now, climate change is especially relevant to insurers because of the nature of the business. Life insurance uh, policies, such as annuities or endowments, have a product life cycle potentially extending over decades, uh, which are backed up by assets matching their long-term liabilities. Now, on the other hand, non-life general insurance can underwrite risks with long tails, such as asbestos, uh, with claims received many years after inception. Insurers are vulnerable to physical risks such as natural catastrophes, damaging properties, or disruption in the supply chains. Uh, risks arise from the transition to a lower carbon economy where carbon-intensive financial assets are revalued. And risks from third-party liability claims by those who suffer loss and damage from climate change and then seek to recover from others, uh, for example, um, directors and officers' covers. So climate change therefore pose significant risk to insurance balance sheets, and ultimately, their sustainability and viability. Now, they have the challenge of pricing policies to reflect adequately this risk, while holding both sufficient resilient assets against liability that may not materialize for decades. And of course, regulators are increasingly focusing on these issues as part of their potential supervision. So um, you know, all these soft law on transparency and disclosures are increasingly becoming hard law. So is it all downside or does climate change create new opportunities for insurers as long-term investors? Uh, I think you are right, uh, Yingyi, that climate change um, is creating new opportunities for insurers. Now, in fact, um, used as a positive tool, ESG can help filter the long-term risk I've described, not only to protect the balance sheets of the insurers, but to improve their investment returns. Now, focusing on long-term investments, Today, there has been a shortage of long-term investment 
to match the liabilities of such duration. Now, pensions, for example, but hopefully there will be a wider change of higher quality illiquid assets in the future, such as infrastructure projects to finance low carbon alternative technologies. But this comes at a time when the insurance companies have been looking for alternative investment to secure a better rate of return when the bonds are offering very, very low returns, as you may know, under the current interest rates. Now, I know that in Europe, there are particular issues for insurers with Sovereignty 2, um, which currently penalize some long-term green investments. But no doubt, I think this will be resolved as part of the review in Sovereignty 2 in the future. Thanks, Thanks for that, Martin. Um, and just now we talked about, you know, digitally ready insurers being very well poised to benefit from changing market. So what would you say about the impact of new technologies? Well, that's a good question. Um, technology, insurance and fintech has been the hot topic in the past years. <clears throat> now, like other areas of financial services, the trend towards digitization has been accelerated during the COVID-19 pandemic. Insurance company, as we see now, are increasing their spending. Uh, in digitalization and automation. Nowadays, you, know, you have to invest in technology. Now, recent investment in new technologies such as distribution, underwriting, claims management and advice um, has helped insurance business model remain resilient during the early 2020. And in fact, they have shown high levels of operational resilience in continuing the, to service the clients processing claims without excessive disruption and responding promptly to inquiries from a client. So, thanks to the technology. Now, although the networks and the IT system were stretched, now they are sufficiently robust not to suffer many, any major disruption. Nonetheless, now, insurance companies will need to continue to invest in maintaining their operational resilience of their system and controls to limit potential losses and expense on compliance and associated litigation. Bearing in mind that increasing legal and regulatory obligations in this area. Now, the major aspect is, of course, insure tech. In the second quarter this year, global insuretech funding experienced a 71% quarter and quarter increase to over 1.5 billion US across 74 transactions. Although the deal numbers were low than were lower than um, Q1 this year. Now, Cyberport is a digital flagship in Hong Kong, having over 370 fintech startups with 33 focus on InsureTech. So InsureTech is basically a growing area. Um, InsureTech is actually the result of two developments. First, although the insurance industry has already been data-driven, uh, much more data is now available. Um, and secondly, analyzing this, you know, what we call the big data, has become much more efficient. New technologies allow the interrogation and analysis of this big data for different use of algorithms, artificial intelligence tools, which enable, for example, more targeted products to be designed 
or insurance fraud uh, to be detected. Great, very exciting stuff. Um, so coming to a conclusion, just one last question. What do you think will be the impact of insure tech on the insurance industry? Um, yeah, well, I would say that alongside these you know, insure tech developments comes with market disruption and new competitors, um, some of which are focusing on the most valuable aspect of the insurance value chain, reflecting a move towards greater modularity of service provision. Uh, different business lines of insurance are being affected at varying speeds. Uh, with the mass market, for example, property and casualty being the most advanced, uh, incumbent insurance players must either invest to develop the technology to compete or partner up um, or outsource uh, with third-party providers or invest in the um, startup uh, of fintech or insurtech. The use of big data not only runs up against data protection and privacy law, but also ethical and regulatory concerns over potential unfairness to insurers. So insurance carriers need to ensure that they have the policies and procedures in place to remain and ensure compliance and protect their reputation. I think in the future, um, successful insurers will be more productive and employ less staff as a result of automation uh, and the use of technology uh, across an automated value chain of product, distribution, pricing and underwriting, policy issuance and service, claims, IT and other support functions. Some commentators actually believe that we would likely see both a signification of insurance products or a more limited range of products to reduce costs, to focus on the most profitable products. Now, the challenge, I think the challenge is that while this will cut future costs, to get there, insurers will have to invest actually more in, digitalize, in digitalizing their business, which for some uh, will require extra funding. Thank you so much for sharing your very insightful views with us, Martin. And thanks to everyone for joining this edition of the FinSight Finding Balance series. We hope that you found this conversation helpful. Please do take a look at the accompanying briefing, which is available on BakerMcKenzie.com. And watch out for our next edition in this series, which will be on COVID-19 and the financial market infrastructure sector. If you found this podcast helpful, you may also be interested to know that Baker McKenzie has produced a series of podcasts relating to the theme of resilience, recovery and renewal in light of the COVID-19 crisis. My name is Yingyi Liu and thank you for listening. We hope that you can join us for the next edition of Insights.